Hey, we have been in a series on the Ten Commandments on Wednesday nights. We've been studying chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of um, um, Exodus. And we came to chapter 20 and we stopped and we hit the brakes and we spent the last four weeks going over one at a time. We're ready for five tonight, but I have to make a confession. Um, I want to get moving again. Okay, so we're going to, I think the four that we did, the first four that we did are... um, all have to do with our relationship to God. When we get to five, it's the, the fifth commandment is to obey your parents. Um, we're going to just cover it tonight, and then we're going to keep moving in a chapter by chapter, verse by verse through Exodus. So the second um, six, we're not going to do like we've been doing the last five weeks and taking one week at a time to break each one of them down. Um, as we kind of um, conclude Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments tonight, I want to I want to bring your attention to a, a, a Psalms chapter 19 in verse number 7. It says, The law of the Lord, and speaking of the Ten Commandments and God's law that we're in right now, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, Rejoice the, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, much more than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 19 beginning in verse number seven. And so just in conclusion of that section of the commandments, we have this promise that God's commandments and keeping them, there's great reward. And so, um, you know, the one thing about the commandments and the law, the Old Testament, the one thing it's incapable of doing is saving us. Can't be saved according to following or keeping the law. We can only be saved according to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The law was a schoolmaster, as Paul told us, that was to point us to Jesus. And and God used it for a time for human history to bring people to the realization that they could not follow a set of rules and and, and rights and wrongs and please God because God's... God's, um, uh, his, his, ex, his expectation is perfection. And he said, even as the Father in heaven is, is perfect, you also be perfect if you want to follow according to the law. And so the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to the idea that we need a Savior. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to wrap up the last few commandments, and then we're going to go on, hopefully cover 21 and 22 tonight. Um, so we left off right in verse number 12 last week, and it says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So the, the, the particular commandment of honoring your father and mother, it's, it's one of the only commandments that comes with a promise. When we get to the next few, he's going to say, Do not steal, period. Do not lie, period. Do not murder, period. But in this particular commandment, he gives us a promise that goes with it. That if you will honor your father and your mother, he doesn't say your father or your mother. Some of us find favorites, right? And my kids know that, you know, if they want certain things, they go ask mom. And if they want other things, they come and talk to me. And they kind of got to figure out how they're where, what their best chance of getting a yes answer is, you know. And so, but it says, honor your father and your mother in the Lord. And and I know that this, this concept of our earthly, heavy, our earthly 
mothers and fathers for all of us is different based on our experience, based on our upbringing. You know, maybe some of you, you close your eyes and you, you picture mom and it's, it's a wonderful picture and it's, it's a great experience. And maybe you close your eyes and you picture dad and, and, and it's not, or, or mom is not, or they both are, or they both are not. And everybody's going to be different in that. And this idea of, of obeying the Lord or obeying your parents command, um, honoring your parents is, is difficult. But the Bible comes with a promise that if you will do this, that, that God, um, that your life will go well and it'll last long. What, what, what the cool thing is, and, and which, with each of the commandments we've gone through and we've taken New Testament parallels. In the first four, we took us to places in the New Testament where it's basically teaching the same thing as the first four commandments in trying to answer the question, are the Ten Commandments of Exodus chapter 20 in the Old Testament, are they valid for today? Do we have to follow them? And, and so we, we took it, every one of them, and basically the answer is yes, in, in a roundabout way, right? And we took, we took the, every one of them, then we went to the New Testament, and we found the New Testament equivalent. And in, um, in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul's laying out how to be a good employer, how to be a good employee, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, he also says how to be a good child. And he, and he repeats this commandment in the New Testament that we should honor our father and mother, and it will go well with us. This is my favorite one for raising kids, right? Constantly quoting this to my own kids and reminding them, you know, and, and trying to walk it through and unpack it to them, you know, that, that there's, that things are going to go better for them as they honor their mother and father. Does that run out at some age? Probably not, huh? Your mom's always your mom. Your dad's always your dad. Kids are always your kids. And so um, it's a God-honoring principle of us being obedient and honoring our father and mother. And so um, the, the, the word honor, real quick, and we're going to move on because I'm not going to spend this much time on these. We're going to move into chapter 21 and 22 tonight. But um, you notice it doesn't say, um, it says honor. It doesn't say obey. It doesn't say disobey, for sure. I'm not saying that. You know, it doesn't say hook, line, and sinker. And it says to honor them. And, and, and for some of us, you might say, well, my, my parents don't serve the Lord. And they, they have godly, ungodly principles. And, you know, they want me to um, divorce my husband. And, you know, I can't, I can't honor my mom in, in that. I, I, you know, and that's, it's ungodly. It's unbiblical. And so obviously, anywhere, right, where God's law supersedes man's laws and man's rules. And in these rules of honoring. But, but we can honor people. Um, without necessarily doing everything they tell us to do. And so it doesn't mean that we, 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 we do everything they tell us to do all the time in order to honor them. There's a, there's a respectful way to, to do something opposite of what your mom or dad wants you to do as an adult. As a kid, you don't have that choice, but there's no kids in here. 13 says, you shall not murder. See, these, these last ones are just easy. Anybody? Anybody guilty? Should I be worried? <laughs> I'm what? I'm what? Oh, today's still young. So um, I, I will say that, you know, the, the critics of the Bible will, will point to this. And, and, and then they'll also bring you to places in the Bible where God calls for armies to kill. And there's places in the Old Testament where God gives commandments to wipe out every man, woman, child, baby. And commands, God commands his armies to go and, and commit genocide and kill everything. He doesn't even stop there. He says kill every dog, horse, goat, goldfish. They all have to die. And so 
you know, e- even in the do not murder commandment, coming from a military background, a military base background, myself not being in the military, but um, serving as, as, a, as a minister, pastor to a military base, um, you know, our soldiers go out and, and, and many of my close friends have been in combat, have confirmed kills. And, um, you know, and, and I don't think that's the intention here. And, and, and God's not contradicting him in oneself where David went out and, and God gave commandments to go out and God showed up. You know, in the Old Testament, the, the battles, you know, so much of Israel's history, they, they were, they were, there was battle torn. You, you read through Joshua and it's like we just read through like chapter after chapter. And we kind of glaze over it, but it's pretty violent pretty graphic like you know you read in one sentence you know they went up against ai and thirty-five thousand soldiers from ai died and you read in a couple verses later and they went up against the amalekites and forty-seven thousand died you know these are real lives real real battles and you know again in our military they're they're they sign up they serve they go to iraq afghanistan and these battles recently and you know vietnam and all these places and these are christian people and they love jesus and they come home and you know um and I think there's a biblical, that's what I'm trying to say, there's a biblical distinction between murder and killing, right? You know, even in capital punishment. Capital punishment, you know, at least Old Testament-wise, is biblical. And we're going to get into it in the next chapter. And God was all for it. You know, in the societies, we're going to read about the society in a minute. The interesting thing about the societies of the Old Testament, there was no such thing as a prison. In the United States, we, we incarcerate more people in the United States than anywhere else in the world. Russia had a, has a lot of people in prison, too. But we passed them. It was like 20 years ago, though. But we passed them. And we, we incarcerate. And, and, and incarceration doesn't fix anybody. You know, the, the recidivism rate of, of, of convicted criminals is so high. It's in the high 90s. Very few criminals who come out of the penal system don't engage in criminal activity again. Or they're not reformed or changed. In, and, and in God's program and in God's system, one of the interesting things we're going to see is God lays out the law... I'm getting ahead of myself, is that there was no prisons. Because God, if you were committed a crime, there was punishment, and you were dealt with, and and, and many of the the crimes, there was capital punishment. So um, for a soldier who who serves in an army to go and fight for his country and and commit, you know, or kill in in that defense, I don't think that he's guilty of breaking this this commandment of do not murder. It's duty, and, and... and you can, you know, like I said, maybe there's some that, that can disagree. You know, we had, I just watched Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody see it yet? Nobody? What's like a, what's, how, how can I like call you guys a name without like cursing? Like schmuck, is that okay? You guys are all a bunch of schmucks. Um, I recommended it like two weeks ago. Hacksaw Ridge, Mel Gibson's new movie. It's a great, great faith-based movie. Well, it's a story of a young man who's, um, who's a soldier. His, his grandfather was, was a soldier. His father was a soldier. His brother was a soldier. And um, he, he, he joins the military, but he's a conscientious objector. And he, he will not use a weapon. And, and in his mind, he takes this do not murder that we're reading here as, um, as literal commandment that, that, is, is, that he doesn't make a difference between you know, uh, uh, your duty to your, to your country and killing and murder, that there's no, you know, I use two words, killing and murder. And I think there's a difference between murder and killing. That's my theological stance on it. His is, there's no difference that, that that's the same thing and that he, he will not hold a weapon. And so they beat him up. They, they do everything in their power to get him kicked out of the military. They call him a coward, a loser. And, 
Um, I mean, just make his life hell. And he's this close to a court-martial and spending the entire World War II in a brig and something changes and he gets to go to battle as a medic. And his story is amazing. True story. Um, true story of a young man. And so just, just a great faith-based story. And so, you know, he, I guess he has, you know, he had his convictions and he followed them and he was right. And he turned out to be just an amazing, amazing person. All right, we're going to keep moving. Um, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, adultery is um, fornication outside of marriage. Adultery is, is when you are married and you are having uh, relations outside of adultery. What did Jesus say in the area of adultery in the New Testament? If we take this in the New Testament, he said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. So he takes it all to the next level. He makes it an issue of the heart. And, you know, the, the whole idea where, you know, the guys in the locker room say, oh, you can look, but you can't touch. Not true. Not biblical. Lust is a sin. And lust um, is a sin that snowballs downhill. And if you will allow yourself wandering eyes, and if you have that idea that you can look and not touch, um, it, it's, it's a snowball effect for sin in your life. And as, as Christians, especially from speaking to the Christian men, it has to be an area of, of guard. It's an area of, of natural um, temptation. And we are visually stimulated. Women, not so much. They're, not, they're more emotionally and you know, they'd rather you, you wash the dishes than have a six-pack. But if you had a six-pack and wash the dishes, you're all right. But for men, we don't care if you wash the dishes or not if, you know, other things. You know, we're, we're visually stimulated. And so it's more of a temptation for men. And so I'm speaking more to the men. But the area of lust is, is something we got to jump on with two feet. We can't have that, that, that attitude or that idea that it's okay, that if I, I can have certain parameters and I just can't cross them, it'll destroy your marriage. It's not, it's not against you, and it's not because God doesn't want you to have any fun. Or It, it will destroy your marriage. It, it will change the way that you know, the relationships in your personal life, and God wants us to be on our guard from that. God wants to protect us from that. And... Um, he says to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, and that, you know, Jesus takes adultery to the next level. This is talking about adultery. And, and again, uh, um, you know, an adulterous relationship just destroys lives. It destroys marriages. It destroys kids. And, you know, I, I don't know, for lots of reasons. But for me, I'm like, I don't know. I don't get it. I watch these guys, and they just destroy their lives. And we had this guy, and he was a... He was a leader in the church, and, and every time you went somewhere with him, you know, he was always flirting with somebody that wasn't his wife, and uh, he had to give his testimony, and, you know, he got up to share his testimony with the guys about how he came to know Jesus, and his whole testimony was, was a brag session on how many girls he had slept with, and this and that, and, um, um, you know, ends up leaving the wife that he was then currently with, had been with for a while, in an adulterous relationship, destroys his family, destroys his house. And, and I'm just like, for what, man? For 10 minutes, for, you know, that it's not worth it. It's not worth destroying your life, your house, everything you have over, you know, that. But so one of the commandments. Next one, you shall not steal. So when you come to my house, do not put my spoons in your pocket. And when you leave, that is stealing. Pretty simple, right? Like, do not steal. So how do, do we want to unpack it? Well, I said I wasn't going to take a week. I was going to take a week and go through each one of these at a time. We're not going to. We're just going to finish them up because I think they're a little more simpler. But we could spend some time on it. We could try to define what is stealing. You know, what if, what if, what if you, your, your work owes you something and you, you take what they owe you? 
It's, it's dishonest. If you cheat on your taxes, it's stealing. It's dishonest. Jesus said, give to Caesar, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto the Lord the things that are the Lord's. And I'm not about paying an extra penny. I don't have to. And I'm about finding every loophole and legal tax exemption and deduction that I can possibly get. But at the same time, you know, not crossing that line into just flat out cheating on our taxes or cheating on this area or that area. It's all under that that same thing. And, and really the, the biblical principle in a nutshell is if you guys will be honest and if you owe somebody or you owe the IRS, and I'm using that as an example, lots of different areas in this way. And if you owe them a certain amount and rather than cheat them out of it, if you just be integral and honest and you pay what you owe, then God, God's going God's to bless that. He's going to give it back. He's going to provide all that you need and then some. But let's say we cheated them out of $400 that we knew we owed and, um, you know, we kept it. The Bible says that you cannot prosper from ill-gotten gain. So in essence, you stole that $400 to, to make it. And, and, and it's, it's just going to rot in your bank account. It's going to rot through everything around it. It's, God's not going to bless it. God's not going to use it. But if we'll give it, if we'll trust the Lord, then it'll come back. God will give it back in a different way. He'll bless it. That's the principle of giving, of tithing, and the do not steal adds into that, that God ultimately will provide for all of our needs in Christ Jesus. We don't need to cut corners. If a lady at the store gives you too much change, give it back. Um, You could keep it. But again, it's stealing, you know. And you didn't necessarily, but once once you realized it, and, and, and once you decided to keep it, at that point, it's stealing. Oh, well, it was Walmart. They got billions of dollars. They don't need this six extra dollars they gave me. It's mine. I'm going to go buy me some, probably go buy you some candy bars and rot your teeth out or something and not good for you. You shouldn't have had that six bucks in the first place. But, you know, God's not going to bless it. Trust him. Be honest in your dealings. Next 16, and it's a bad witness, right? As Christians, the next one, 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay, so don't, don't bear false witness against a neighbor. Don't tell a lie about a, about a situation or a friend. Don't get on the sides with somebody and, and bear false witness in a, in a, in a court case, in an argument, in a fight. The last one, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor his Camaro, nor his Dodge, nor his jet skis, or his boat, or his, we already said his wife, his kids, or anything that is in your neighbor's house. And so, again, you know, the Bible says to rejoice with those that rejoice and to mourn with those that mourn. And so, you know, Again, just biblical, these are 10 commandments, right? These are biblical, just things to guide us, to lead us by. And when you start coveting your neighbor's, what your neighbor has, and you want what he has, and you're unhappy, and when he comes home with something new, your response is, well, it must be nice. You know, instead of being genuinely happy or excited when somebody's blessed or somebody has something, you know. And one of my favorite commercials of all time is, that one neighbor, and he's like keeping up with the Joneses, and he's got it all, man. He's got the brand new boat pulled by the brand new truck, and you know he's got everything there is to have, brand new. Everything in his house is just up to par, and um, you know the other neighbors are struggling, and they're watching this one guy, and he just has everything in the world, and he's out there mowing his lawn on his brand new rider lawnmower that everybody wants in the town, and finally the guy stops the car, and he's like, "Man, I had enough. How do you do it?" He's like been dead up to my eyeballs <laughs> I got credit card debt like you couldn't believe but i gotta that's probably half time the truth you don't want to covet somebody's stuff because then you get to covet their credit card debts that go with it and the reality that you know and and 
You're just going to make yourself miserable in the process of coveting what everybody else has. Don't do it. All right, verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, flashes, and sound of trumpet, and the mountains of smoking. And when the people saw it, they, tr- they trembled and stood afar off. So as, we, as we've already highlighted, and it's been weeks and weeks and weeks ago now, when we first started Exodus chapter 20. But if you'll remember, Exodus chapter 20 starts with this bang. I mean, this is really monumental. In all of human history, God, God only did this at, at very few times in all of human history. And he made a big deal the day that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He actually spoke with an audible voice to Moses and the people heard it. Again, he spoke, he's, the Father speaks with an audible voice, voice when Jesus is baptized. So there's a, this is, you know, we've kind of forgot the context because we spent so, so long breaking down the commandments. But it was a big deal in human history at this time. And then it says in verse 19, then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But let not let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where, where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me gods of silver, gods of gold, and you shall not make for yourselves an altar of earth. You shall make for me and you shall sacrifice on it burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I record my name. I will come to you and I will bless you. So the Lord wanted an altar, but he said, just make it of earth. He doesn't want it fancy. Just make just pile up some dirt. And upon that, I want you to make the offerings and sacrifices that you're going to offer to me. And then I will come and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you, if you use your tools on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. And so God says in the altars that they would make, and it was a, it was a literal altar that they would put the beef or the cattle or the... Um, the, the, the sheep that was being sacrificed upon it that would sprinkle the blood on the altar. God didn't want anything ornate. He didn't want anything fancy. He said, if you're going to use stone, you can't even hewn it or, or cut it. You find some rocks out in the, in the thing and you can, you can use those. And then he said something about the nakedness there at the end of 20. And that's a cultural deal for the time of Moses. It's a pagan culture. Um, it wants to be alive and well in our culture today, but it's not the whole... Uh, uh, what do you call them? Nudist nudist was the word I was looking for. Nudist colonies and nudist living, but it was it was happening in that day, and God God didn't want His people to be a part of the nudist colony. So the next time you go to the beach, keep your clothes on. Just kidding. You guys would never. Um, now these are the judgments which you you sh- you shall set before them. So in chapter twenty one, we're going to start now. Um, where God is giving the law. He's, he gave the law to Moses. And we're going to go through so many laws, you guys are going to feel like, um, you know, it's going to get a little laborious and, and we're going to jam through these. But, you know, I even considered skipping some of this stuff because, but as I read through it and as I prayed about it, I felt like it's super important that we, we can find some meat in this Old Testament stuff. It's God's word. It, again, it's chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But as we go through this, I want to set a little bit of context now as we go, we start to get in. The first section we're going to get into are um, laws concerning property and 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 in our um, bodies, I guess is the right word, you know. And so, um, first of all, this is thirty five hundred years ago. 
and the the culture that 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 the Jews had come out of. Where where were the Jews prior to this? They were in Egypt for how long? Four hundred, close, hey, four hundred years. How um and and what were they in Egypt for four hundred years? They were slaves. They wandered around the wilderness for 40, 40 years. So we're 3,500 years ago removed from today. So, so first of all, just to set the picture that, that it's a different culture. It's a different setup. And, you know, again, the critics of the Bible today, and especially the atheists love this one, that, that God condones slavery, he condones murder, he condones this and this. And they'll take us to some of these passages, or they might use some of these passages today um, to, to justify that position. And none of that is true. In all of these things, God records for us these things. He never condones them. God records for us polygamy. Never once in the Bible does he condone polygamy. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, he's the opposite of condoning it. Jesus is the opposite of condoning it and saying that, that you're to be the husband of one wife. And, and, and so same thing with slavery. God's going to record slavery in here. He's even going to set some laws and some rules for slavery. But he's never condoning it. He's never saying nowhere in the word does it, does it condone any of these things. And, and again, it's a different culture. And, and, and these, these laws that we're going to read, they were prohibitive. They were there to, um, there was a culture that was already established. It was a people group that, that, that was surrounded by so many pagan cultures that did not know God. And so, you know, you just have to be practical. You have to govern according to what you're working with. And so for us to, in, in 2016, in modern society, to look at these and pick our noses up and, oh, God, and, you know, how could he? Well, well you don't live there. You know, and, and the reality is there, there's, there's a little bit of baby steps as you go through. But when you, when you go from Genesis to Revelation and you catch the heart of God and you catch the will of God, you find out that God is not this tyrant that the atheists want to argue he is that condones slavery and all those things. That's not his heart, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he is dealing with a group, you know, just like with your kids, right? You, 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 you take your three-year-old and, and, you, and you, you meet them where they are and you teach them and you, you raise them up. But you don't take your 15-year-old and treat him like your three-year-old. You, you, you develop baby steps. We grow as Christians in the same way. When you get a brand new Christian that comes into church or somebody that's new to the Lord or new to the word, they're, they're, they need some milk for a while and they need to get kind of grounded. And then as they get some milk, you start giving them some solid food. And, and as you grow and mature in Christ, Paul tells us, hey, stop giving them milk and start giving them some steak. The meat of the words is, you know, and we grow in our diet as Christians. And so as God is dealing with society and dealing with his people through the Old Testament, understand that he's, He's, he started somewhere, and he's working towards a goal. But ultimately, all of this is about Jesus and pointing to Jesus. And, and, and again, you can't make a case through any of this that God condones any of this. And it says in um, chapter 21, now, all, now these are all the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, you shall serve, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh year, he shall go free and pay nothing. If he comes in himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall, shall go out with him. If, he, if, he, if his master has given him a wife, she has borne him sons or daughters. The wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. So this is kind of one of the first places where we see God's instituting this six-in-one pattern. So all the way through the Old Testament, we have today, we have seven days in a week, six days a man shall work and one day he shall rest. Set for seven years, if you were a slave, if you were a Hebrew slave, which you, you found yourself or you sold yourself into slavery, you weren't forced into slavery. They were all Hebrews. It was a Hebrew nation. 
Not that they couldn't have or didn't have other um, pagan cultures or other societies that would come in. And, and, but, so somebody who was a Hebrew slave is somebody who's born free, who has a free right, who, who mismanaged their own finances. And they didn't have um, the mission center and the homeless center and food stamps and welfare. And so the guy's got nothing. So he comes to a wealthy landowner and, and he, he joins the man's house to get back on his feet and becomes um, a slave who worked for this guy and God said that you can do that for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free. So, so he, in the seventh year, he, he's to go free. And again, this was not um, God calling for six years when a society would hold somebody for 50. And God says, no, you can only hold them for six or you can only they would hold them for a lifetime. And God is now putting parameters on, on some of the, the, the cultures that, that are taking place. And he says for six years and on the seventh. Same thing with the land. And God multiplies this all the way out and it becomes a biblical principle all the way through. If, um, you know, one of the problems today in our society is our commercialism, right? So we, 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 we live, my, my grandfather, he gave me a lesson in, econ- in economics one time. And it was so different to think about the, econ- the economics of the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and where we are today. And he said, you know, he said, well, if the, you know, if, if, one of the problems with our economy is people are overspending. And I'm like, how is that a problem with society? How is that a problem with... And, and so my, uh, my grandfather, he owned a local grocery store. And in the 80s, a chain grocery store came to town and it put him out of business, put the mom and pop's grocery stores out of business. It was happening all over the country and they could no longer function. But what he explained, I said, so how, but how does overspending... So, you know, growing up in, in central Kansas and living in central Kansas, and he owns the grocery store, and his buddy owns the feedlot, and another guy owns the electrical store, and another guy owns the lumber store, and, you know, they're all, they're all owned by, by families in this community. And he said, if the guy that owns the lumber store, if he starts overspending, and he goes and buys a car he can't afford, and he does all these things, then what does he have to do in order to pay for these, this overspending lifestyle that he has? He has to bump up the price of his lumber, and so now you've got to pay more for the lumber. And if I have to pay more for the lumber, now I've got to maybe charge more for my eggs so that I can afford the lumber. And, you know, and so he's giving me this, this old school economy lesson in overspending. And, but you, you have these, these societies. And, and, and it's not the, the, where we've come today is not, is not biblical. It's not necessarily God's plan. And he put it within his people so that this, these things wouldn't happen. We, he, there was no Walmart in the, in the, with the children of Israel and Israel. Because every 49 years, so you could lose your property. You mismanaged it. You were just a bad steward of what you had. And you had to sell your land to your neighbor. And, you know, that one guy who was really savvy, he started working deals all over town. And pretty soon he's got, you know, your land, your neighbor's land and somebody else's land. And he's getting really, really rich and nobody else is. Well, well, that could happen. But in God's society, every 49 years in the year of Jubilee, seven sevens, all the land went back to the rightful owners. So that was a year of jubilee. So for seven years, you'd have you'd have one of those every seven years, and then one every every forty nine year. And in the fiftieth year would be a year of jubilee, and all the property, all the everything you lost. So if you're a bad manager, you got to start all over. You could lose it again in the next five years, ten years, two years, whatever. But it, it couldn't. It was set up so that not so that Walmart couldn't just own everything. And so, um, but now now where we live today, you know, could you own a, a mom and pop's grocery store in Tooele? There's no way. Could you could you sell computers? Probably not very successfully. 
the computer store in town in, in, in Yucca Valley. Um, guy came to church, had a store about this size, sold computers and printers and computer parts and would fix your computer and sell computers. And so you'd go, you'd go to his shop because you wanted to support local business. And I was looking for an HP printer, cheap printer, $50 printer for my house. And he's got it there and it's $69. Walmart has the same printer for $39. And he said, I can't even buy them wholesale for $39. Walmart, Walmart can buy them, can sell them cheaper than I can buy them. I, could, I would do better if I went to Walmart and bought them and then came and sold them because when I buy them from HP, they won't even sell me for $39 and Walmart's selling them for $39. But Walmart's buying 10,000 units at a time and he's buying six. And, and HP's next biggest competitor is buying 300 units while they're buying 10. And so they, they set the prices. And so this is a, a monopoly, a commercialism, a commercial system that God prevented in these laws of the Old Testament where everything had to settle down every once in a while so that couldn't happen. And, it, and, and we're, we're on slaves, though. And in verse 6, it says, Then his master shall bring him... I'm sorry, verse 5. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the gates, and he shall also bring him to the door... Or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and serve him forever. And so this is the, where the term bondservant comes from. If you read anywhere in the New Testament, Paul, Titus, Peter, James, and I'm not sure about John. Maybe John, one other, several, you'll read them. You know, any, any title at the beginning of every book, those letters in the New Testament, how does Paul describe himself? Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Titus, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And, and, all, and, and this is the term where the idea comes from. It's an old part of the Old Testament law. So if the, the slave came, it was the seventh year, he was set free. He could come to the master and he could say, the master treats me well. You don't beat me very often. Um, or maybe he had a wife. He had, he had gotten a wife and his wife wasn't his. He married her and belonged still to the, the place where he was living and he couldn't take her and his kids. So he said, the master treats me well. I built a family here. I want to stay. I choose to stay. Well, then the master would take him and he would put his ear against a post and he would take an awl and he would punch an awl or, or that bad. He pierced his ear. You guys are going to pierce the ears. You're all like, oh, that looks like hurt. No, it wasn't that bad. He, he would, he would sell gauges, you know, those gauges the kids wear today. That's nothing new. They, they think they're fandangoed and hit, but that's 3,500 years old. Maybe. No, I'm just kidding. And, but they would put a, sometimes a gold hoop in it, and that, and that was a sign with a, with a hole in your ear and pierced that you were a bondservant. You were a, a slave by choice. And, and the whole concept, again, is something that all the New Testament writers, every one of Jesus' disciples and apostles, you and me, if you're a disciple or an apostle of Jesus Christ, we wear that. I wear that as a crown, that I'm a bondservant, that I am willingly choose to serve Jesus Christ. I, I choose now to, to be a slave, to be a servant, to, to serve Jesus. And, and then Jesus set the example, right? It tells us so many times that Jesus was was servant and other-centered. And he set that as an example for us. At the Last Supper, Jesus went and he washed the feet of all the disciples. Whose job was it to wash feet? It was a servant's job. And Jesus became a servant. It tells us in Philippians, in one of the most powerful verses, it says um, in Philippians, in verse number chapter 2, verse number 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So receive that right now. Let this mind be in you, that also was in Christ Jesus. Okay, I, okay. what is that mind? 
who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so Jesus sets that example for us as a bondservant, a bondslave. The word, the, the word is doulos. And so we are a doulos or a bondservant of Jesus Christ according to his example. And then, you know, here, here's the, 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 the dichotomy or the contrast that God draws in this chapter in Philippians. Everybody's going to bow the knee and confess with the tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some to the glory of God and some to their own reward. And others are going to be on their way to hell. But when they see God, they didn't confess him in this life. Every knee will bow. When Hitler breathed his last, he woke up in eternity standing before Jesus. And when he saw it, he fell on his knees in a spontaneous reaction. And out of his mouth, he said, Jesus is Lord. And that's what Philippians chapter 2 says, that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. And the most wicked person ever. But that, that wasn't his, his confession unto faith. It was too late for him. But for, for those that choose Jesus today, choose Jesus now, that we willingly, as a bondservant, we, we've been taken to the, the post and placed our ear on it and had the all driven through, and we willingly today say that Jesus is, is our Lord, our Savior, that we're a servant and a slave to Jesus Christ. Then when we confess on that day that Jesus is Lord, it'll be to the glory of God and on our way to heaven. Oh, got too many tabs. I keep grabbing the wrong ones. Um, verse number seven. It, it says, "And if a man sells his daughter, and and if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed." He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. That if he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her, her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three for her, then he shall go out free without paying money. She shall go out free without paying money. In verse 12, it says, He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Whoever, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint you to a place where he may flee. It's called re cities of refuge. So, um, again, the Old Testament and what we're about to go through, again, we're dealing with laws of property and life. Property and life. And so... Um, if somebody murders somebody else, the punishment was death and that man should die. And, and there was a certain, they didn't have a, a capital punisher or somebody who would come and, and execute all those, those executions. It would be a next of kin according to the Old Testament law. So if somebody come and killed my brother, it then would be my responsibility to, to be judge and jury and, and, and handle that. But it says if, um, if it was an accident... 
but I'm still angry that you killed my brother, but you guys were working together and you, you did something really dumb and unsafe and the cart fell over and landed on my brother and killed him, that there was a place that, that you could flee. And, and in the Old Testament, we have what are called refuge cities where you would be free from the avenger of death or from the person who was to, to carry out the Old Testament law of capital punishment for certain crimes where God was going to set up refuge cities. And that's what he's laying out here. And in verse 14, it says, But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So premeditated murder, that's, that's murder. That's, that's the definition of murder there. And that guy, there's no, he, he should die. And, and he who strikes his father and his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found... I just skipped over 15. He who strikes his father and mother shall surely be put to death. So... If you're, you know, it goes on and it says if you're a disobedient teenager that the punishment was death in that case. And then obviously if you're dishonoring your mother and father, if you're striking them, then you're a type of individual that, that's guilty of capital punishment. You've committed a crime that's guilty of capital punishment. And he who kidnaps a man, so kidnapping, capital punishment, verse 17. And he who curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. What? Dude, we would have no kids left, Right? This would be a kidless society. We'd be one generation away from death. You know, you couldn't even curse them. You couldn't even, you even cursed your parents. They, they just didn't deal with the rebellion. You see why they didn't need any prisons? First of all, you, you, you take that part of, of society out. You, you also create a fear and a respect within your society for, for against these crimes of, of murder and of theft and of kidnapping and of being disobedient and dishonoring to your parents. And, uh, and then it says in verse 21, notwithstanding, if he remains alive or where are we at? Let's go 20. Yeah, I missed 20 um, or 19. If he rises again and walks out uh, about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of his time and he shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. So if you if you struck somebody and uh, he didn't die then you, you just pay for the time that he lost and, and, and there was retribution for the damage that you caused him and he missed four days of work. Well, then you got to pay him for that. He had to buy some bandages. you got to pay for those. And um, in verse 20, it says, If a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. If men fight and hurt women with child so that she gives birth prematurely yet no harm follows he shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes on him and he shall pay as the judge determines so it wasn't a punishable death um kind of strange thing verse 22 two guys get in a fight one tries to kick the other he misses and kicks his wife and the pregnant wife in the stomach and causes her to go into labor and she has she has the baby but the baby lives and and in in a month, in a week, everything is back to normal, and everybody's okay. There is punishment, but this particular crime was not punishable by death. And verse twenty three, but if he harms fellows, but if any harm follows, then he shall give life for life. So if the baby dies, then then it's punishable by capital punishment. Verse twenty four, and here we go. I'm trying to get to this. Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot. Burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If a man strikes an eye 
of his male and female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he rocks, knocks out the tooth of a male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. So this is, again, a, a very misquoted, misunderstood section of scriptures where God lays out in the Old Testament an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So, um, but again, this Jesus in the New Testament, in dealing with this section of scriptures, what does Jesus say about this? He said, if a man strikes you on the one cheek, strike him back. Is that what he says? He says, if a man strikes you on one cheek, you turn to and give him the other also. And so Jesus dealt with this issue as society progresses, as life progresses, as revelation comes. And, and we get now to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is taking these laws of Moses, and he's placing them on our heart. He's giving us as Christians new commandments, greater commandments, additional commandments of, that, that were really the same, but love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first four commandments that we dealt with the last four weeks deal with love the Lord your God. The, the next four deal with love your neighbor as yourself as the, as the rest are dealing with the neighbor. And so Jesus, um, and again, you, you have to take into consideration the entire counsel of God's word. So you want to take this, but here's the reality and why this is misunderstood so often. What is human nature? When I was in Bible college, I had a, I had a reputation and I tried to earn it really good. Like, um, I was always going to weigh out, do you, if you pranked me, if you, if you did something to me, it wasn't good enough. So multiple times, Lydia, towards Lydia just left. She told a story and her friend come down and Lydia and I were first starting to hang out and we weren't like officially dating or anything yet. We were just kind of hanging out and we worked down at the retreat center. And so we had a swimming pool down there we had a big kitchen. We had about 150 beds. Joshua Springs owned a, a retreat center where we would host small retreats and the Bible college students had dorms down there. We would live down there. We would serve down there. We'd clean the rooms, do the grounds, cook the meals, run the retreats. And, um, and we could live down there. And so it was a great situation while, while we had it. And so her and her friends came down to help us work a retreat and hang out. And, you know, there was this little squirt bottle. And her friend takes this little squirt bottle and she sprays me with it a couple times in the face. And so I picked her up and I threw her in the pool. And it was always that way. Like if you, you know, if you, if you, you know, the guys would prank me, you know, or they would do something and they would do something in my room. And I'd go to their room and make sure it was like 10 times worse. So he knew like if you messed with me, like. I'm, I'm, I'm me, I'm tough, I'm bad, I'm going to get you back way worse, so you wouldn't want to mess with me. But that, that's kind of human nature. And human nature is if, you know, you black one of my eyes, I'm going to black two of yours. And if you knock one of my teeth out, then I'm going to knock all your teeth out. And, and, and when God says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, he's not giving a commandment that if somebody punches you in one eye, that you punch them back. He, he's, he, he was being in the law of the Old Testament where we are today, it's prohibitive. He was putting parameters on the people and on cultures that are 3,500 years old that um, were, were coming from, from pagan um, influences and backgrounds and surroundings. And, and he's telling them, no, if, if it has to be equal. It has to be fair. It can't be addition to. We, we, and so these um, things, again, where God gets maligned as, as, as unjust and evil and harsh... They, they really were meant to be um, parameters of, and limitations, not, not to exceed those things. In verse 28, if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if the ox tended to thrust with horns in times past and has been made known 
to his owner and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. If there is imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life, whatever is imposed on him. Whether it is gourd, a son, or a gourd, a daughter, according to this judgment, it shall be done to him. So this is the old, you know, bite me once, bite me twice uh, rule. And so when I was in, uh, when I was at Joshua Springs, we'd have to go to every so many years, we'd have to go to sexual harassment training and these lawyers would put on these sexual harassment training things. And there's also things a Christian lawyer, right? So... Um, the, just kidding, that was a joke, probably kind of true joke, but anyways, they, they would tell these stories in the sexual harassment training and, you know, law was, if, if your dog bit somebody, then, um, you know, there was a certain expectation from you that you're, you're, you're responsible and, and you didn't know your dog was a biter and the thing happened. But if your dog had already bit somebody, you knew your dog had a tendency and now your dog bites a second person. Well, now they're going to throw the book at you because you knew that your dog was a biter and that he, you know, then you didn't deal with it. And so, you know, and the, they would say, you know, in the old days, it used to be like you get one free grope because they didn't know that it was a problem and no, no free gropes anymore. You're guilty on the first one. The first bite, you're guilty. And so um, that, that's the same idea here in the, with the ox. He's saying if your ox gores somebody, you didn't know your... But if you knew your, your ox had a problem and he was out there goring people and you didn't deal with it, you didn't put a fence up or whatever you had to do or restraints, then there were stricter punishments. In verse 32 it says, If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to the master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. Does that sound familiar to anybody? So Judas Iscariot sold Jesus... Or, or was traded Jesus, betrayed Jesus for the price of a gourd slave. Because this, this was the price if the slave was gored to death. So if the ox was out there and the, the ox gored the slave to death, then the price that you'd have to pay the, the owner for that slave was 30 pieces of silver. And that's the exact price that Judas Iscariot sold Jesus for. And if a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good and shall give money to their owner, but the dead animal shall be his. If one man's ox hurts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox shall be also divided. So um, if there's two oxes and they're fighting, and, and again, it's, 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 it's innocent, you know, one is not having a problem, and the two oxes get in a fight, and one kills the other, that, that, that God said split it evenly. You take the dead ox and you barbecue him up and you split the barbecue meat. You take the live ox and you sell him and you split the price of the live ox between the two owners so that, that it's, it's fair. Or if, he, or if it was known that the ox tended to thrust in times past and its owner had not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox and the dead animal shall be his own with the exception that if you knew your animal had a problem, that then, then that creates responsibility because you knew there was a problem. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for, for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So, if, in verse 2, if the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for this bloodshed. If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for, for his theft. 
So a couple things here in the way God set up the society and the Old Testament law. Um, that The first one is that, again, no prison. If you stole something, you didn't go to prison for a while. If you stole something, you, you paid back four times, and there was restitution that was made. And you say, but where would a guy that went and stole an ox, he, 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 he's broke, he's poor, he doesn't have any money, where's he going to get the money to pay back four oxes? So that responsibility would go to his family, and, they, and it was part of the law, and they would tax it, and they would enforce it. So that would mean his parents. And if his parents only had one, then it would go to his, his uncles and his cousins and, his, and the people in his family. And everybody in his family would have to come up with those four ox to pay for his theft. So what, what do you think would create then in that situation? Hopefully a sore butt, right? And, a, and some discipline and, and some real you know, dealing with. And then there's pressure. Not only is there pressure on you, but your consequences have action that affect your family. And, and, and God created so geniusly and so preciously within culture that he's dealing with um, laws and rules that, that were right and that kept, you know, were, didn't have the need of prison and, and those types of things. And so those were the laws of, for those that stole. And then the interesting one is, if you know, again, the laws were all, again, to protect the victim. If somebody breaks in your house... And he says, you, you know, it's in the middle of the night and you, 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 you know, you, you kill him and there's bloodshed. Well, you're innocent of that. The, the thief is guilty. He says, but if the sun comes up and now you can see the thief and, you know, you can deal with it. Doesn't, he, he was saying that there wasn't necessarily a green light that you can now just murder this person. You, 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 you could, you could, um, you had more responsibility as the light rose and is shown. And maybe you could deal with it a different way. But if it's dark, it's night, you're scared and he dies, you kill him, you're not responsible. But, but the point in all of this is that all the laws that God made were there to protect the, the victims. And today we have laws that are designed to affect and, and protect the, the criminals. You know, we, we have so many, I guess here, true stories, a couple of true stories. Just to, we have, um, you know, j- just for example, there, there's, a, there's a case of a, a rape case. Two gentlemen take a woman and they, 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 they abduct her, they take her to a house, and the neighbor hears her screaming and calls 911. The, the house that they're called to is a guy who's on, um, who's on parole for another rape case that he's being charged in. He's a known rapist and, and, and convicted felon in another area. The police go to his door, they hear, they hear the woman screaming, they, he won't open the door. He won't come to the door. The police kick the door in, they go in, they find the woman bound, taped in the closet, jaw broken, had been sexually abused by two men. They, they, they arrest the guys, they go out, and then the guy walks free because the cops didn't have the right to go in and, and, and into the house. They didn't have a search warrant. They didn't have, the, they didn't have the, you know, the laws that are just ridiculous, right, to protect the, the rights of the victims and not the... Um, and then the, this is a true story out of Washington. There was a guy who was breaking into a residence and he um, fell through a skylight in the kitchen that he didn't see. There's a couple I heard on this one. Now, one I heard is that a guy fell through the roof and he landed on a knife set in the kitchen and sued the homeowner for the cuts on him. That one I can't confirm. I heard that story, but I can't confirm it. This one, you could Google this one. This one's true. The guy falls through the skylight, lands in the kitchen, and, and breaks his back in the, in the burglary. The cops come. They arrest him. He goes to court. He's convicted of breaking an entry. He's 
That, all of that all goes well. He was guilty. He broke into this house. They caught him. They arrested him. They, they charged him. Convicted. Guilty. When, he, when he's done with that part of it, he, he hires a lawyer, and they sue the Skylight Company because of the, the Skylight was faulty, and, and it didn't hold his weight like it was supposed to, and he fell through it and broke his back. And he, and he was awarded $1.5 million from the Skylight Company for breaking his back. So, it, it, you know, the thing with God is, you know, and especially these Old Testament laws, they're, they're there, they're, they're common sense. You know, one of the nice things when Jesus returns and Jesus rules and reigns through the millennium, common sense will return. We will once again just have that luxury of common sense that'll be back. And God's laws were common sense laws. They were designed to, to protect the victims, not the, um, not the criminals. In verse 5, if, if a man causes a field... I forgot four, but we're going to be a little fast. Three more minutes and we're done. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall restore double. And so um, there, there is an exception clause. So, so if the thief comes in and it says if, he, if what he stole, they find it alive, they're able to return the property, then he pays back double. That, that's the punishment that God laid out. But then in numbers, we get this exception clause to this. If the guy stole the sheep... And he got it home and, you know, a lot of times they would steal him and go eat him. And then you'd find the thief and it would be dead. And so now he owes. So they're saying if he found it and it was alive, he returns the one. So they got their property back, but he has to still pay restoration. But if, the exception clause is if the, the thief um, got convicted and guilty and repented and came back two days later and said, I'm sorry, I stole your sheep and I shouldn't have done it and I just want to give it back to you, that he should pay 20%. So, so there was a 20% punishment if you did the right thing and, and you came and you made it right. I think it'd be good in our houses with our kids. You know, I try to do that with my own kids and I'm being serious. You know, like, you know, the whole thing, like if you, if you tell the truth, it's one. And if you lie, it's five. Or if you, you know, um, and just certain things where if, if you'll, you'll create within your own home the opportunity for kids to be honest and do the right thing. I and mean, even if they've, they've lied or even if they've sinned, so if they'll come back and they'll say, I'm sorry, I lied, you know, and if I catch my kids in a lie, I, I make them say those words. And if they won't or they just want to keep dancing around it, then, then the punishment is definitely stricter. But if they say, I lied, I'm sorry, and they'll confess, they'll repent, and we can bring that, that out. Because ultimately, that's, that's the goal in, in punishment is repentance, is a changed heart. And, and we don't wanna, we're not just punitive in spanking and in dealing and disciplining our kids. Because we're then we're you know we're no different than the penal system, but um, so I like that I like that little exception that God lays out that if somebody's repentant they come back that there's going to be more mercy on them. If a man causes a field or a vineyard to be gazed grazed and lets loose his animals and it feeds and it feeds in another man's field he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. Pretty simple, right? You let your animals out to graze your field they wander over to your neighbor's field. And they eat your neighbor's crops. Well, when he comes to collect what your animals ate, you have to give him the best of what you got. Huh? Yeah, just make it right. And common sense, fair, honest. If fire breaks out and catches in the thorns so that stacked grain, standing grain in the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep and it is stolen out of the man's house, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's goods. So that's kind of an interesting one. Like if, if 
um, you were going away and you're going on vacation and you went to your neighbors and you said, hey, will you, will you watch my house while I'm gone? And, and, you know, and then you're doing your best and, and, and somebody breaks in the house and steals the TV and the couch while they're gone and they come back and like, hey, where's my couch and my TV? You're like, I don't know, somebody stole it. They said, well, how do I know it wasn't you? What if you stole it? What if you were the one while I was gone? And how do, how do I know it wasn't you that did it? And so then they would go to court and they would talk it out and they would try to figure it out. If they found the guy guilty, he'd pay restitution, he'd deal with it. But there was a way to, to deal with those kind of things. And if a man, verse number 10, if a man delivers his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep it and it dies or is heard, is driven away, no one seeing it, then the oath of the Lord shall be between them both, and he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept that, and he shall make, not make it good. But if in fact it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner of it. If it is torn into pieces, a beast by then shall bring it as evidence, and he shall not make good what was torn. And if a man borrows anything from his neighbor, and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it is not bringing with it, he shall surely make it good. If the owner was with it, he shall not make it good. If it was hired, it came for hire. So two things dealt with there. If you make a deal with somebody, and you got this amazing um, saw, and it'll chop 50 trees a day, and you sell it to a guy, and he comes back two days later, and he says, man, the thing's a piece of junk, man. I can only get five trees a day out of this saw. This is the worst saw in the world. I want my money back. And then you take it and he's like, oh, let me check it out. And you plug it in. It goes, wah, wah, wah. And he goes, what's that? Then, you know, the guy's an idiot. But if you were just giving him a bunk deal and you sold him something to claim it was going to cut 50 trees a day and it just wasn't it or it broke the next day or you had something that you glued together and as soon as he got home and started working with it, it fell apart in his hands and that, that, you know, there was an honesty clause that you'd have to deal with that and give that back. And and then it says if you borrow something, and, you know, that, that could happen, right? You know, you could borrow somebody's car, and, and the transmission was like, was going to go out. And you just happened to be sitting in the driver's seat when it happened. You didn't do nothing wrong. You borrowed the car, and, and sure enough, you know, you needed a favor, and the transmission went out in the middle. Well, you've got to buy me a new transmission. Dude, I drove it like six miles, and you drove it like 600,000 miles, and I got to buy the transmission? And so, again, just being honest, being fair, laying those things out. And it says in verse 16, If a man entices a virgin who is, who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay her the bride price for her to be his wife. And her father utterly refuses to give her to him. He shall pay money according to the, the bride of the price of the virgins. So really quickly, and, and you guys, we will be done. The... So if, if two teenagers have sex, then um, it was written in the law of Moses in this, in that we're studying now that, that the kid would have to marry her. And in order to marry her, there would have to be a dowry paid. But if the father said, no, that kid's trouble, kid's a punk, he's not marrying my daughter, he had nothing to do with our house, then, then the father had the right then to, to, for the kid to not marry his daughter, but then he still had to pay the dowry and the dowry still had to be kept. But again, it would kind of deal with um, some of the issues in premarital sex that if you you slept with her you're gonna that's your wife for the rest of your life so pick a good one and so that that was the way that god laid it out in the law and it says in verse 18 you shall not permit a sorcerer to live you know that whole thing for all these years about burning witches and the old days and all those things you know that's yeah. technically a biblical thing that if there was a witch or a sorcerer um that god's law said it was it was equivalent to to um 
the death penalty and it was idolatry and it was um, and, and it needed to be dealt with. So, you know, and I'm not, I don't have time, you guys. I'm not going to get into sorcery and witchcraft and tarot cards and all that stuff other than just to say the Bible is very clear, very strict for us as Christians. We're not to, we're not to dabble in any of that stuff. We just have no business as Christian people being involved in anything that has anything to do with, you know, horoscopes, tarot cards, palm reading, fortune telling. It's all of the devil. It's, it's, it's all a slap in God's face because God will tell your future. God will fortune tell. God will read your palm. God will give you your future. He's laid it out for you. All you got to do is ask him for you to ignore the living God who loves you and died for you, who wants nothing more than to lay out your life for you and give you a future and a hope. And we go and we look at these demonic, evil sorcerers and, and, and factions to try to get that information. It's a slap in God's face. And the Old Testament and New Testament alike warns us very strictly, very keenly, do not have anything to do with that stuff. And it says in verse 20, almost done, I promise. And let's look at a couple more. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, or you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict a widow, a fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and, in, and they cry to me, I will surely help hear their cry. So God says that if you afflict them and they pray and I hear them, I'm going to hear them and I'm going to deal with it personally. I think that's one I probably wouldn't be messing with when God says he's personally going to come and deal with that one. And my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not charge him interest. So again, I don't have time to get into this. I wish I did because this also is introduced in the New Testament. But God didn't want um, his people charging his people interest. So when, it, when it's a Christian loan to a Christian loan, that it's, it's believers, it's like-minded people, it's brothers in Christ. When you loan money, you can't, you can't charge interest and you can't be a user, uh, a user to your brother. If you ever take your neighbor's garment and pledge, you shall return to him before the sun goes down. So if you loan him money and you say, okay, give me your jacket to make sure you pay me back, and it gets cold and the guy doesn't have a jacket, and you're holding his jacket until you get your five bucks back, God says, just know this, that you, when it gets cold, he wants you to be um, generous, and he wants you to be graceful and give the guy's jacket while it's cold. For this is a holy co- covering. It is garments for skin. What will it... What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. You know, think about God's grace. We, we always want God to be gracious to us. We just don't always want God to be gracious with everybody else, right? You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and juices and the firstborns of your son you shall give to me. Amen on that one. Likewise, you shall do with your ox and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days on the eighth day, and you shall give it to me. And you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw them to the dogs. And that was a health reason that you don't eat the animals that were um, roadkill. Amen? So much in there. Let's pray. Let's stand. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. And, and Lord, we thank you that we can, Lord, just take a Wednesday night and, and walk through a couple chapters of Exodus and Old Testament law. And Lord, it does apply to our lives today. And, and ultimately, Jesus, we just we hear your heart. We see the heart of the Father. We see the wisdom of God. And, and when we get to know in context the entire counsel of God's word.
as we study these things and we just we just don't ignore them and we also don't just believe what other people tell us about them we've been in them ourselves we we've read through them we've studied through them we thank you for that god and we thank you for the wisdom we learned tonight and the lessons that can be learned from from the the law of moses that was given 3500 years ago and we thank you and praise you in jesus name amen